Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thinking Inside the Box podcast. I'm Matt Burns. In light of recent events, we are transforming our podcast strategy in three ways. First, by accelerating the release of podcast episodes that we believe will be of greatest service. That starts with our Carrie Chitsey interview, which was released on March 17th and will continue indefinitely. Second, we are scaling our podcast production schedule and aiming to release two to three podcasts each week going forward. We are also actively sourcing experts to share their experiences, wisdom, and practical advice on topics that have suddenly become very relevant to all of us. The far-reaching implications of the COVID-19 pandemic are still not fully understood. Here's what we do know. The near overnight transition of our global workforce has several impacts, including, but not limited to, talent acquisition, operational continuity, internal communications, employee engagement, and leadership at all levels. It's affecting individuals, teams, and entire organizations indiscriminately, often hurting those who are most vulnerable disproportionately. As the days and weeks unfold, the immediate logistics and infrastructure issues that we are now faced with will largely be resolved. Laptops will have been ordered and issued, VPN counts will have been created, and instant messaging and video conferencing services will replace the current in-person conversations that happen in most corporate offices today. Though future challenges will require our attention, including, but not limited to, the implications of prolonged social distancing, restrictions around travel and the flow of goods and services, and broader economic and societal changes that we put in place as we all adopt a new normal. It's definitely not business as usual, and we want to connect you with the information that you need to make informed, evidence-based decisions in the interest of your organization and as people. The best place to find that will be at bentohr.com or on my personal LinkedIn account. Finally, myself and the entire Bento HR team will make ourselves available to our community like never before, including the introduction of frequent barrier-free opportunities to connect, share knowledge, and support one another. Additional information will be shared on this in the coming days. And again, you can find the latest at bentohr.com or on my personal LinkedIn account. These are trying times, that is no doubt. But know that we are here to support you as you support others. Until then, it's important to be kind to ourselves and to one another. We're all in this together, and let's be safe. And now we'll return to regular podcast programming. Like every single time someone heard my story, they would walk up to me and they would ask me like, hey, how, how are you, like, how did you do this? How did you get out of social anxiety? I'm, I'm socially anxious. I can't talk to people. I'm trapped inside my own brain. How did you actually do this? And so I was like, man, I really got to write this book because this problem is not really being addressed in the world and it is greatly, greatly misconfused. Hey everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, the show where each week we'll tackle the most complex issues related to work and culture. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at bentohr.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast by searching for Thinking Inside the Box. Joining a recent slate of impromptu conversations, it is March, it is 2020, 
the world is very different than it was even a week ago. Um, I am joined by a very special guest that frankly, I'll be honest, I wish I was meeting under better circumstances. I have followed Mark Mitri for the better part of two years now on social media. He is an inspirational speaker, host of the Humans 2.0 podcast, uh, and has recently released a book called Screw Being Shy where Mark talks about a number of things, including you know, introversion, organizational uh, implications of social anxiety. It is a great read and looking forward to kind of getting into that, discussing you know, Mark's experience, his background, and his kind of research and studies as it relates to more recently what's been happening around a coronavirus and pandemic. And we'll probably tag on some conversations about the meaning of life while we're at it. We'll never know where we go with, uh, with Mark here. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I appreciate it. Dude, thank you so much for having me and um, hope everyone out there is uh, safe, happy, and healthy. I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. I mean, right now, this really puts things in perspective for all of us. It's just, you know, I had, as I'm sure you did, a full calendar booked for this week, you know, travel, you know, tours, meetings, all of a sudden those things grind to a halt as the world kind of hunkers down for the social distancing and, you know, it's kind of the rise of the introverts. Yeah, man. I mean, it's... uh... I mean, it's such an interesting time and um, I'm, I'm grateful that I don't really have any like real problems in my life in terms of like everyone I know around me is happy, healthy, you know, I, like I have enough money to have a roof over my head and food and all that stuff. And so I'm very grateful for that. But I mean, yeah, man, I mean, I've, I've basically been gearing up for the last year for this month in March. And just like a lot of people in basically 48 hours, everything has gotten canceled. And so, yeah, it's been a really weird time. And I just launched this book that was, was not a coincidence. And so I'm grateful and I'm grateful for the fact that the book is doing well. A lot of people are reading it. And so, yeah, it's honestly a weird time. You know, I'm like really happy because people are hearing my message and whatnot, but then also so many different things that I had to continue spreading this message are just not happening anymore. And so I'm kind of like, I'm happy and I'm grateful the book is out. Everyone I know is happy and healthy. I'm safe. My family's safe. People around me or my friends are safe. But then it's also like, wait, like, what am I, what am I supposed to do now? Like, what's my, what's my plan B? And so, yeah, man, I don't even know how to explain how I'm feeling. It's just, it's been a weird time, but ultimately you know, the world has got to change. And, and I think now, I'm sure I'm going to be talking to my kids about this 10 years from now, and they're going to ask me. And so that's sort of the sort of perspective that I've got going on in my head. And I realized that, you know, people are more stressed out. You know, I've had, whether it's clients on the business level, or just friends or people that I know, or just random strangers, just see like an overall increase in anxiety. And that's, you know, being said, like I last few days, pretty uncertain, uh, pretty anxious for sure. And then it's just realizing that it's just a scary time. And so I'm trying to like use empathy to kind of understand people's behavior and not immediately judge them because maybe they did something that was rude or, or they wouldn't normally do uh, aside from these circumstances. So yeah, man, I don't really know. It's a, it's a pretty interesting time, my friend. How about you? How are you dealing with it? Oh, I appreciate the question. And I don't, I mean, it goes without saying, there isn't a playbook for this. Like, you know, you have experience, I have experience. We don't have experience in working through this type of situation. So I think 
what you've said is, is spot on. You look after those closest around you first, make sure your family and friends and loved ones are safe and looked after as best we can, and that we look after that first. And then we look after our broader community wherever we can. And, and that means in some cases, social distancing, it means self-quarantining, it means taking extra precautions if you do go into public and limiting discretionary travel and things of that nature. But you're right. There's this looming, uh, you know, bag of questions that is forming in a lot of people's minds that goes, okay, what's going to happen 48 hours, seven days, 14 days, three months, one year from now? I don't think it's, I don't think you're alone in that. And I think that you have the right perspective in terms of what's, what's important. I guess, you know, as we look back at this time, we're going to essentially have to make the best of a very difficult situation. And we're going to have to try and be of service to people. I can tell you, Mark, myself, our business, our organization here, we've had several very impromptu, informal conversations where we basically made the decision to completely pivot our business from a revenue generating function into a you know advocacy media content generation business as a means of getting information in front of people who need it. We speak to an audience of 50,000 global HR professionals, and I promise you some of the challenges they're facing are significant in terms of you know, impact to life and to people's health and wellness around the world. We're just trying to be as, a service as po- much service as possible to those folks as they try and be in service to others. And then we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll play the next little while out and we'll see how this continues to evolve and we'll just try and be of service to people as this goes on. I'd love your feedback. I know the timing is not great from a book release perspective, but having said that, your topic is incredibly timely right now. Um, The conversation around introversion, around social anxiety, around this idea of building connection, you know, I'd love to understand, Mark, a bit more about you, your background, and ultimately what Mm. led you to write this book. Yeah, man. So for me, you know, if you want to take it way back, uh, my parents came to this country from Egypt a couple years before I was born with uh, $200 in their pocket. And I lived a pretty sim- simple, uh, humbling childhood, you know, nothing too bad, nothing too great, but had a great time with my parents, my sister, and we just sort of got by. And um, for me, where I kind of look at my life now in hindsight as really, really impacting me to who I am and ultimately my life path was between second and third grade, when I was a kid, we ended up moving out of the city and more into a rural area, a small town with just 5,000 people in it. And the really interesting part about this town was that there was no racial diversity. And so essentially myself and maybe one or two other families in the entire town we're not white, we're not Caucasian. And so also at this time, you know, this is sort of near post 9-11 and the whole Middle Eastern um, like brand reputation uh, was really tanking in this country. And so I faced uh, extreme racism, bullying. And also at that time, I began to develop physical health issues like asthma, insomnia, issues with my skin, appendix, stomach, bladder, and these zapped my physical energy. And so really, I just ended up entering this mentality and developing social anxiety where I was that kid in the back of the room 
I was the one who always had his head down, didn't talk to anybody, had no friends, wasn't a part of any kind of group, club, sport, anything like that. And so that was basically my life for a solid 10 years. And when I was 18, I actually realized that I had social anxiety. Previously up to that point, I had no idea that this was actually happening inside of my head. And I just thought that there was something like inherently wrong with me, like I was some moral failing. And so when I realized I had social anxiety, I had to make a decision. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us whenever we realize something, whenever we become consciously aware, there's always two decisions we can make. One is you can sort of try to ignore this. You can sort of just keep trying to do whatever you were trying to do before and just sort of ignore the information, ignore the data. And then number two is like actually trying to learn about this issue, trying to get on the path of trying to be proactive and actually responding to this issue and trying to maybe heal or at least manage it so it doesn't rule your life. And so I think like most people, I chose path number one, which was trying to escape. And so for me, that looked like uh, alcohol, drugs, partying. But honestly, my real drug of choice was food. And so, I mean, I remember I had, I, I would have night after night after night of just binge eating because I was in so much pain because I couldn't take responsibility for my life and make a decision while facing a lot of social anxiety and having some physical and mental health issues where eventually it led me to being over 200 pounds. Uh, my, so, my lifelong social anxiety transformed into social isolation and I actually began to get seriously depressed for like probably the first time in my life. And then also that led me to being suicidal for like two, three, four weeks. And so, yeah, man, that was my life. And I mean, eventually I ended up climbing out of that step by step. Nothing was overnight. Yeah. I mean, it eventually led me out of not being a socially anxious person and, um, and, and really being myself and really like rewiring my mental health, my physical health from the ground up. That eventually led me to like start a business, start a podcast, kind of live my own life. And then in terms of this book, like I was actually working on a different book beforehand. And it was a book that was going to be like about my podcast. And it was going to be like all the guests that I've learned, the 300 people who I've interviewed and uh, sort of what makes them tick, what some people can learn from. But then honestly, like last year, I realized that like every single time someone heard my story, they would walk up to me and they would ask me like, Hey, how, how are you? Like, how did you do this? How did you get out of social anxiety? I'm, I'm socially anxious. I can't talk to people. I'm trapped inside my own brain. How did you actually do this? And so I was like, man, I really got to write this book because this problem is not really being addressed in the world. And it is greatly, greatly, misconfused. It's, it's confusing. People don't really understand what the difference is between an introvert and then being shy and then being really shy and then having social anxiety. And then on top of that, when you look at the data, social anxiety is one of the most common uh, anxiety conditions in America. And on top of that, social anxiety is actually the most out of all of those correlated with substance abuse and social isolation, both of which are correlated to suicide, where I almost fell down into, which kills 850,000 people every year. And so I was just kind of looking at these issues, kind of look at them lay the land. And I was like, man, nobody's actually talking about this. And I'm in the entrepreneurship, self-improvement world. And 
to be quite frank, there's just a massive amount of misunderstandings. There's a lot of like motivational speakers that I guess are misdiagnosing people who have depression or anxiety or real serious mental health problems as a problem in their motivation, or they're just not trying hard enough. And so in my book, I have essentially written a super simple, easy to read book that is, you know, addresses the root cause, takes people at the, takes a look, lets people take a look at the neuroscience, has a sort of a a solid foundation for someone to like actually get like deep down motivated and not just, you know, do this or read this book for like 30 minutes and then get distracted by the next thing. And then how to actually like just practically get out of this with, with scientific studies on, on neuroscience, on people that are way smarter than me in the book. And so here is my attempt at just trying to provide a guide to people who face this issue that want to guide themselves. That's not just some, you know, very shallow version of like, Hey, here's how to be more confident. Here are five tips, but actually understanding the root cause and more of the science behind it. And so here we are. <laughs> here we are. First, I just want to thank you, Mark, for being just so open and vulnerable with us around some of your challenges. It, I don't know about you, but it always helps me to understand kind of someone's origin story because it informs where they are today. And I think in hearing your particular story, your version, there's certainly pieces that I can connect with. I'm sure our listeners will connect with pieces as well. And a couple of things I want to touch on. The first one is you mentioned this. One thing I love about the book. And one thing I love about your approach is that it is long on pragmatism. It is long on evidence and it is short on subjectiveness. And in an era where people are hard to are hard press to differ, differentiate, I love that you're coming at us with, here's the science, here's the reality. And here's my experience. I just, I so appreciate the effort you went through because I think it's, it's a missing piece to your point in this grind and hustle culture where it's, if you just you know, sleep one hour less a day, you'll be able to be a millionaire by the end of the week. <laughs> Dude, I really appreciate that, man. And yeah, I mean, again, this is my first book. And so I'm sure it's definitely, you know, not the greatest book, but yeah, I mean, as someone who's read like so many, so many, so many books, like really, man, I'm really not trying to waste people's time. Like I, I have really, to my ability, I've been trying to explore this land for the last four or five years and just trying to tell people what actually works versus wasting their time. Hey everyone, it's Matt here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we continue though, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Lena AI. The future of work is today and faced with pressure to reduce costs while simultaneously enhancing their employee experiences, Coca-Cola Beverages Vietnam turned to Lena AI for their technology solution. And like a lot of organizations, Coca-Cola was inundated with employee queries. Everything from leave status requests, policy and payroll queries, and they wanted a technological solution that was not only scalable, but also provided a unique employee experience. So they deployed Lena AI's proprietary chatbot and integrated it with their workplace by Facebook module and saw immediate results. Now, full disclosure, I do sit on Lena AI's advisory board, but that's because I am passionate about innovation and technology within the HR profession. I believe we need better tools in order to have success and to contribute more to our organizations. And because I sit on the board, we have received an exclusive discount. 
by using the code BENTO25 at purchase, you will receive 25% off of your transaction with Lena AI. So for more information, please log on to lena.ai and use the code BENTO25 to receive 25% off your purchase. And now, back to our show. Because to be quite honest, man, I wrote this book for like the 12-year-old version of myself because people who experience social anxiety to the severity that I'm talking about, I mean, it, like it's not just about like your social behavior and like sort of how you deal with other people in public, but social anxiety is very much like this, this like mental matrix trap that someone can get stuck into. And a clinical psychologist out of Boston University, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, defines social anxiety as a perceived deficiency in either your physicality, your social skills, or your entire character or personality that makes someone want to compensate or try harder to make up for that perceived deficiency. Because if you don't, then your brain has a fear that people will judge you or mock you. And so- you know, there's a very like shallow way to look at this if you don't experience these issues of like, oh yeah, you know, you're a little bit shy or you're quiet or, you know, it takes you a little bit longer to, to make friends. But it's also like the dark side of social anxiety is aside from what I said of it, it, it is the most correlated to substance abuse disorder and social isolation, which are both very serious. On top of that, it also seeps down into someone's very like self-esteem, their confidence, uh, how they think about themselves, even when they're by themselves. It looks like someone trying to fall asleep at night and then replaying every social interaction that happened that day and then regretting their lives as to, oh man, I wish I could have said that or I wish I could have you know, used my authentic self or I wish I could have not said that thing that I said because I was nervous or scared and made a fool of myself. And so I remember, I remember doing that as a kid and literally staying up for like four or five, six hours and sometimes not even sleeping. And I mean, the, I mean, the results of the biochemical impact of not sleeping is dangerous enough as it is. And so I really don't want to waste people's time. And so, you know, I'm sure there's no such thing as a universal prescription that everyone can do, but I kind of feel like I've walked people through the fundamentals that are important enough. And I like your kind of breakdown of, um, of how I kind of wrote the book, man. I really appreciate that. It really means the world to me. Well, I may need some support here as your agent coming up here soon, Mark. So, I mean, I'm just putting my, my hat in the ring. Um, jokes aside, I, I want to I reinforce what you said in the sense that I want to provide value. We started this conversation by talking about the tough time that people are experiencing right now. And I, I list both of us as among the most privileged and grateful at this point in time, given the challenges around the world. There is a clear correlation and a clear link between what you're talking about in the book and what a lot of people are experiencing now and are going to experience in the days, weeks, and months as we get into more of this social distancing activity. And I would agree with you. I think you know, somebody myself who's been diagnosed in the past with forms of anxiety at multiple times in his life, there's a spectrum. Social anxiety is not, I'm afraid to ask the girl to prom. Right. That's called being a teenager. Social anxiety is something that requires the care of a medical practitioner. It may require counseling. It may require medication. Um, it, it goes beyond the surface level you know, inconveniences, if you will, of life. 
we are going to experiencing that now as a culture materially as we no longer interact with people in our friend groups, in our family groups, in our social settings, in the workplaces. If you could give folks a couple of really tangible, simple tactics that they can be using in this next period of time to try and maintain some sense of normalcy in what's going to become an increasingly introverted world, at least for the near term, what would some of those things be? Yeah, man. So, it, you know, yesterday I actually went to the grocery store and at the place where I live, it's not, it's not exactly a rural area and it's not exactly a city. And so there's definitely people there. And so, you know, I, I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to risk anything. And so I'm the person that's wearing gloves, uh, wearing an N95 respirator mask, keeping my distance from people. And the really interesting thing, man, is what I noticed was when I was at that grocery store, almost all of the unhealthy food, almost all the things in packages or like frozen pizzas, almost all that stuff was gone. And yet, I mean, for sure, I couldn't find a few things, but almost all of the normal healthy food that I eat is, was there. And so that to me was quite alarming because one of the first sort of practical points that I start off with in the book is that, so for example, when you take a look at the, the, the mental health communities, the leadership communities, you often hear sort of a key neurotransmitter come up and that is serotonin. Serotonin, I mean, I've, I've heard like leaders like Simon Sinek talk about it. Uh, serotonin is... Uh, in a lot of mental health medications, it's one of the primary sort of modulators that they try to tackle to deal with the issue. And what I found extremely interesting in my research was that for, for most of uh, science, the scientific community, we thought that because it's a neurotransmitter, 100% of it is in the brain. Actually turns out, last 10, 15 years of science has proved that it's actually not the case. And only 5 to 10% of serotonin is in our brain. 90 to 95% of serotonin is actually not in the brain and in this thing called the gut microbiome, which is this vast ecosystem of trillions of bacteria, funguses, and viruses in our body that have co-evolved alongside human beings that do a wide range of things from digesting our food to regulating different parts of our body to doing a lot. And then when you look at serotonin, serotonin has many different functions, but you know, it is, um, it's responsible for regulating your mood, sleep, appetite, uh, sexual desire, and especially you're functioning in social groups. So that is extremely important when it comes to social anxiety. And when you look at the studies, they show that people who have social anxiety or some other related anxiety issue or condition, they have their body is either producing too much serotonin or too little serotonin. And so basically when you get down to a large body of research, you find out that a major aspect of how serotonin in our gut microbiome is being created is essentially through the food that we eat. And so a lot of people usually just associate food with, you know, their, their physical health, if they're overweight or not, maybe if they have diabetes or not. 
But I mean, I lay out in the book countless studies that show there is an extremely strong correlation between your mental health and in your the food that you eat. And when you look at the you know the psychology world, this is an emerging field called nutritional psychiatry, where we are finding out like, oh, it turns out that, for example, in studies that show where they supplement omega-3 essential fatty acids, they have a much decreased risk of anxiety and depression. Then they show a different study that shows, hey, if you consume a lot of sugars or, uh, or simple carbohydrates without much fiber or fat, you can almost take someone who experiences bipolar disorder or experiences other mood disorders, and you can almost see an exact match in that person's blood glucose level because they're consuming the amount of sugars. And then if someone is diagnosed with bipolar or different mood disorders, because sugar is one of the fastest forms of energy to your brain. And so a lot of the times, you know, if we're eating a brownie and we're sitting down or we're drinking soda and we're sitting down, that energy it immediately goes towards your brain and your brain uses that to fuel anxiety. And then what happens is after your blood glucose level crashes, then you're super tired. You might even be depressed. You'll have a low mood. And then you'll search for something, which is usually more sugar, to help lift you back up. And so this is a very dangerous and toxic cycle that, quite frankly, most of the world is unaware of or doesn't exactly understand it from this perspective. And in turn, it's hurting a lot of people. You know, like you look at a study from out of South Korea where they took teenagers, they took one of them that ate basically the American standard diet, which is a ton of, you know, junk food, not too many vegetables or the right kinds of fats. And they took another group where they did eat that. They did eat a a healthy natural diet. They showed a a 100% decrease in suicidal ideation between those two groups. And so for me, like, I like to talk about food because food is a major part of what makes up our hardware. And like a lot of people talk about mindset, a lot of people talking about living in the present moment and sort of relieving, relieving themselves from the pain of the past. And it's like, listen, man, like your brain cannot grow new brain cells if you're just not giving it the raw resources for it to grow. And it's like, after you know, you're born from your mom, your body grows from the food that you eat. And so if you take a look at someone's brain, you know, are they giving themselves the right kinds of resources for it to properly grow? Or are you just trying to fuel it up with like, you know, soda and Oreos and Doritos that have no nutritional value and can really, really hurt people? And I actually have a subsection in my book called First My Gut Broke and Then My Brain Broke where I talk about this and I talk about the fact where the only time in my life where I was seriously depressed and the only time in my life where I was suicidal was when I was abusing my physical body, my gut microbiome, and all these sort of domino steps kind of took a step further. And so that's what I would tell people. Like That's like the number one kind of tip here that I can leave with you in the next few minutes because there's software and there's hardware. And so software is the, the mindset, it's the, the beliefs, it's the strategy, 
It is the thoughts. It is the, the books that you read, the podcasts you listen to, the people you talk to. And then the hardware is whatever that software is running on. And in the book, I give people the analogy of like, listen, man, you could have the best software. You could have like the best software from Apple. You could be running on iOS 15 or, or whatever they're at now. And you're trying to install that on like an iPhone 2 that's like super slow and outdated. It doesn't matter how hard you keep trying to hit that install button. You're just not really going to see any long lasting changes. And so that's what I tell people to do. That's sort of the, the scenario that I unfold people to do because it's super important. And it's important because if you don't, then again, you could be having the best software. You could be hearing the best information, but if inherently your biochemistry, which is the way that our bodies and brains have evolved to survive for thousands of years, if that's off, then the whole thing is going to be off. And at a time like this, when we all need to be operating in as healthy a state as possible, whether it's in the context of self-care in self-isolation, or it's in maintaining our immune systems you know, in a very challenging time, I think that's such, such great advice, Mark. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your perspective. I will leave details around how to get a hold of you, how to find the book, for those who have an interest in social anxiety, especially in this current state around introversion, around building tangible evidence-based skills to impact your life, I would really encourage you to check it out. Mark, thank you again so much for your time. Hey, bro. Thank you so much for having me on. At Bento HR, we enable your HR strategy with custom HR technology procurement, implementations, and integrations to liberate your team from administration, enhance their productivity and experience, to position them at the center of your organization's transformation, where they belong. With experience as an HR executive myself, I have a real appreciation of the challenges facing today's HR leaders. The world is changing. Your industry is being disrupted. Your organization is transforming. And all the while, you're trying to do more with less. You're being asked to simultaneously model fiscal restraint while the expectations of your departments are only increasing. At Bento HR, we can support you at every stage of your transformation. From architecting the strategy to developing and selling the business case internally, we support procurement, implementations, and ongoing sustainment. And we tie it all together with a deep knowledge of the HR profession and over six decades of combined experiences from our founding team who has worked in or supported large HR organizations across multiple industries, including, but not limited to, financial services, technology, retail, transportation, and healthcare. Check out Bento HR today to build your very own Bento box, which doubles as your business case for transformation. Leveraging recent research into the upside of digital automation inside organizations, and with your help in answering a few simple questions related to your organization, our Bento Builder will provide a directional business case for change. So log on to www.bentohr.com and build your Bento box today.